This is Thomas DePolo. This is Max. This is Kevin Ham. Hey, this is Jake Cook. Hi, this is William Roy. You're listening to The Green Box. I notice when I read discussions about different scenarios, especially when there's a yearly shotgun contest or any other type of contest, but also with published modules, is that the very common response to a large number of them is, I didn't understand this, I didn't know what was happening, or a reaction of surprise when someone else describes the plot of the scenario, because they didn't understand that that was what was happening in it, and... Uh, I sometimes disagree with people about how easy it is to understand something. I think that some things are not as complicated as other people insist they are. But then I start wondering, do I actually understand it myself, or do I just have an idea in my head of what's of what the writer intended, and, re- and in reality it's not clear at all? Yeah, I remember that from this last year's Shotgun Scenario Contest, where someone would describe a feature or tell me about one of the scenarios and I would be like, how did you get that? That doesn't make any sense at all. I understand that some people can come away with interpretations of this scenario that may be a little bit different than yours, but for there to be like whiplash between the two, just huge stark differences, then there must be some wires crossed somewhere. That means that the scenario isn't easily understood by everybody. I'm actually going to plug this into a subject that we've talked about on the show before. One thing that I remember is that we will often do a back and forth on whether a piece of scenario content is actually says something or whether it will just be interpreted and run in that way. Uh, for example, some of us will describe something as an instant kill in a scenario, and then someone else will say, no, it's not actually an instant kill if you you read the text because it says that you know it's it's a uh, it's lethal under these circumstances and then the question is if the text does not specifically say that it is that something is instantly lethal but a large number of the people reading the document automatically read it that way does that mean that in practice with if those people were to run that scenario rather than doing a close reading of the text and finding the exact use case they would in practice just use it as an instant kill and we've we've had this debate a bunch of times with different um, with 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 different scenarios regarding clues regarding uh, one one of the one of the cases that we talk about this a lot with is uh, the scenario observer effect. Observer effect is in a, in that scenario it is not impossible to proceed without killing everyone, but in practice that's usually what happens. And so the question becomes then: Is it a matter of it is, it is, is it a matter of interpretation? Is it a matter of, of how easy it is the scenario is to understand for the person reading it and running it? I think that first thing that you said about where the scenario has like an instantly lethal feature or any other sort of thing like that, but then later on there being text that said, but wherever that but is should be united with like the rest of it. All the mechanics should be in one spot and not scattered across different pages where people are forced to go find Jake, them all. Jake, I'm going to, because I don't remember, were you here for the discussion where we went over this, the, um, the Arkint? No, I hadn't read it, so I didn't want to participate. Okay. 
because in Arkent, the specific use case we were talking about was it wasn't that the text was scattered across the, the rules tome. It was that it was a subjective interpretation of how a player character responded during a conversation with an NPC. Right. So I, I think it was me, you, and Kevin for that conversation. And the, the exact context of the conversation is the NPC will cast Withering and try to instant insta-kill you if you say the wrong thing. And what I was saying to you guys was, this part is w- worded so incredibly vaguely that anything that isn't just pants on fire lying to the NPC, you're probably going to get away with, with a forgiving GM. Yeah, I think Tom's interpretation is probably the correct one, or at least the more interesting one. But the fact that two of us came away from the initial reading with, oh, that's an instant kill, makes me wonder if, in practice, when if people actually use that NPC, it's just going to be an instant kill. Because I think your interpretation is more is correct and more interesting, but if that's not the one that 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 other people come away with, what is actually going to happen when people use that in a game? And that sort of gets to the heart of what we're discussing today is uh, how to make the text communicate the meaning that you intend. And I think... Yeah, because the obvious... Go ahead, Tom. I was just going to say, and I think in that specific example, and a lot of examples, we're also thinking of that sort of the thing is where it's not just open to interpretation. It's not really clear what the intended interpretation is. There just needs to be more words added to that. Yeah, and like to take it to an absurd level, like if you wanted to make that 100% you know, not subjective, you would have an exhaustive list of things the players might answer and an exhaustive list of things that they that would get them killed or not. But that's obviously like absurd. And the same with like scenarios. You know, it'd be great if every scenario had you know, the, t- the top 25 most likely paths the players would choose for every hint and had detailed guidance on how to navigate down it. But, like, nobody writes like that because you'd go insane. So, like, at some point you have to just, you have to, like, hope your communication is good enough and then, you know, let your thing out into the wild and let people play with it. And they're going to run, run it differently. But I guess the question is, like, how do you, how do you make that as good as you can without making it absurd? If I could paraphrase the late, great Larry Niven, who actually might not be dead. I'm not sure. But he, but he made all the Halo uh, games. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that Larry it's like, Niven. It's like we can still hear his voice. <laughs> yeah. If I could paraphrase Larry Niven, um, if you've got nothing to say, say it any way you like. If what you have to say is important or difficult to follow, use the simplest language possible. And if the reader still doesn't get it, then it's not your fault. As of recording, he is still alive. Just put that on record. That's very good. Well, shout out to Larry Niven. So if he dies in the next couple it's, of it's days... It's my fault, yeah. <laughs> to make myself retroactively correct. <laughs> and I think so this is... You're just going to go out and kill him? I, I mean, Ringworld Engineers was awful, man. I'm sorry, Larry, but this has to happen. Did, um, did, I mean, he was not the one who actually wrote... Um, Man Kazin Wars, but he signed off on it because it would make him money. No, he wrote the first couple Man Kazin Wars like short stories. I mean, he published like an anthology, and then he just put his name on it and a bunch of other writers. He Tom Clancy did. Yeah, he Tom Clancy did. Which I mean, you know, <laughs> good for him. Uh, so one of the things I always harp on when we talk about um, uh, we talk about like, scenario like readability and understandability, uh, we really, when we do like contest reviews and stuff, it's like I want to be able to during the session 
So I know that I'm not going to be up when I read through a scenario. I know that I'm not going to get a hundred percent of everything that might happen. I'm going to get, I'm hoping I get the gist and, and all the major plot pieces and NPC names and stuff. Like I'm not going to remember every little bit. So when a player says, Oh, you know, does, is this, is Larry Niven still alive? I need to be able to look through the, the, the document and see a bolded Larry Niven, like stat block and really quickly. Okay. Yeah. He's still alive, you know, in this scenario or whatever. So to me, one of the ways you can communicate effectively is, is the way you lay out, just the way you lay out your scenario, like a solid table of contents, solid, you know, not too verbose, like, you know, concise, easy language, bold and italicized things that need to drive people's eyes to, you know, stuff, stuff like that. Yeah, don't, don't be coy describing things to, to, the, to the guy who's reading your scenario because he wants to run it. Don't, don't use flowery language. That he needs to know what he's what's what's what the scene is, and if you want to be coy, write write a section like that says like read this aloud to the players. Oh yeah, those are great. That's totally cool. But don't yeah don't don't hide it from from the from the from the readers. But and, I, and Max, I know one of your pet peeves is when you have to dig through the scenario to figure out what what's actually happening. Yeah, so that's straight up one of the reasons why I don't run things that I haven't written myself is that I, it takes a lot of work for me to master someone else's material to the point where I'm comfortable running it. It takes more work to do that than it does to just write something myself. And one of the big reasons why it's difficult to, to master someone else's material is if they don't write an executive summary. And this is, this is free money for anyone who wants to write a scenario for any RPG ever. Write a summary of what's happening at the beginning and don't make it like so th- there's a tendency especially in like mystery and horror to want the reader of the module to experience like the journey at the same time that the players do like the person running it is getting the revelations at the t- at the same time as the characters in the game world are and so they have to read the whole thing to get the whole picture and i think the reason that happens is that most rpg modules are not written with the expectation that anyone will ever actually play them they're just written to be something that's fun to read and this is true even of modules that I like. Um, one of my favorite modules is uh, for... It's it's not for any specific game, but it's called A Wizard. And A Wizard is really good. Uh, it's super fun, but it has a lot of issues. And one of the issues is that there's all kinds of cases where the text is like, this is the wizard's egg. If you break the wizard's egg, he will be pissed off at you and he will punish you. And then it just goes on to the next to the next point of interest and it doesn't say like... What is what is the wizard? How does the wizard punish you? What 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 happens? Or like or like there's a specific section where it's like the wizard will not allow the player characters to do this. He's like what what does he tell them to stop? Does he because he has like all these cool abilities and shit, but they there's nothing in it in there that describes the interaction with him until the very end. And the issue is um, this is very cool and evocative for me reading the adventure, but what fucking happens? <laughs> So I think that one way that if the players are supposed to experience the mystery and the big unveiling at the end, the person running the game doesn't necessarily have to be surprised by the ending. You can write as part of the executive summary or define these are secrets that the players will find during play. That way, if the person running the scenario doesn't accidentally slip up and put something that was supposed to be a cool reveal out there by mistake too early. Yeah, that's a useful tool. Um, I remember, I just remembered suddenly when, um, when Carl ran 
what's the one that Detwiller wrote with the guy who uses illusion ritual to make himself appear like the old man he's murdered? Yeah, when uh, when Carl Carl ran that for for the group that I was playing with, I remember he slipped up at one point and used the wrong name, and I just I just assumed I assumed he just slipped up, but actually. You know, there's a whole. <laughs> he had slipped up, but he, worse. He had he had slipped up even worse than I thought he had. Yeah. Yeah. So v- very often, um, when I when I do scenarios that have any kind of like hidden information for players, they well, you remember this from from Sir, this is a Wendy's. The dude who was playing the Delta Green agent, um, just read out loud like his his descriptive text at the beginning. He was like, Ah, yes, I am Agent Roderick, the Delta Green agent, which g- gives away the entire interplay of the scenario. And then I'm looking for the person with fire magic. And the pyromancer is like, oh no, whoosh. And I bet that it really got it kick-started. Yeah, well, it gets good. And, and, and so looking back, the issue was that that, like, block of the, 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 um, the block that you give each player has the information on it, like, Here's your stab log. Here's what you're doing here. But because the name comes first, and then the special information about who it is you're, you are and what you're doing, the player does it. If the player is just is just is just seeing it for the first time and just reading out loud to the rest of the group, they're not gonna get to the part that says that they're a secret agent looking for a secret operation until after they've already read the most important identifying detail. Yeah, you almost need a like a you know do not read this next part aloud or something like that, like instructions in the, as I've seen that in like modules where it's like, you know, don't read this, to, like, re, you know, read this aloud and then don't read this to the players. Yeah. You if, you're, if you're going to have that note, make sure that note is before the bit you're not supposed to read aloud. Cause I For have sure. started a sentence and then gone, Oh wait, never mind, I'm not supposed to read that sentence. <laughs> yeah. So one, one of the things I, I wanted to, to mention is uh, if 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 you had a if you had a way like put aside all the impracticalities of it, but Max, let me let me put the, let me put this to you as a hypothetical because you're you're the least likely here to run other people's stuff. If somebody wrote something and then instead of you reading it, you had the time and the, and the space and everything, and they could just tell you in detail the whole scenario verbally again. Pretend you set aside the time and it's not going to impact you. Like you're not going to hate it, but that's how you digest the information. Do you think that would make it any more likely to run someone else's stuff? No, if I played in it, then I might. If I played it and I really liked it, then I would want. Yeah, to it. yeah. That's that. That's the most because that's that's how most people learn RPGs. For a long time, there was really no way to learn RPGs other than buy the product and like read it and learn it yourself. But but the most common way that people learn to play an RPG is by being taught by somebody else, and that carries forward to scenarios as well. Most people discover that they like a scenario because someone else runs it for them. Yeah. No, so I was going to get to that, and so that's a good point. Uh, and I want to circle back on that, but I want to go over... When you first mentioned this topic, it, it made my brain tickle, because writing breaks like the fundamental communications loop of like how humans talk to each other. So like at a super, super basic level, you know, if, if I'm talking to Will... Right. I, I sent him some. I, I verbally sent him a message, he, you know, using a sentence. He receives the message, and then in order for that loop to be complete, he has to provide me feedback that he's gotten the message, and I have to know that feedback is correct. And like the best example of that is like, and people don't realize they do it, but if you ever introduce yourself to someone, like, hey, I'm Kevin. They usually go, they like shake your hand, shake your hand, and then they go, Kevin. 
And like that, that, that is a perfect example of like the communications feedback loop where you said your name, they said it back. Now, you know, they got it, but in text, you have no way to provide the feedback to the, to the writer that you've received the information. Whereas if somebody could just talk a scenario at you, you could say, well, hang on, you know, how does the wizard punish the players? Well, oh, so this is how, oh, so this is, this is actually, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, take your hypothetical and I'm going to replace it with an example that's actually happened to me. I've had people run my scenarios on the Night of the Opera Discord and sometimes they'll message me asking questions and then, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll respond. Like, I don't want to backseat too hard, but I do also want to be helpful. But it's interesting to me what people take away from them because uh, do I, I'll, I'll do an example and if this is too esoteric, we can just cut this. So when Top Hat runs my scenarios, he always says, uh, I can't run anything that I haven't played in because your scenarios have too much stuff that's not written down and it's just dependent on the person knowing what you were thinking. Whereas when Litho runs any scenarios, he's always like, oh, this is the most fun I've ever had with Delta Green. This is so rich and bursting with life and it's very well organized and stuff. But one of the super interesting things to me is um, that the, I guess the descriptive text that I use is... A lot of people find it, they have very different mental associations with a lot of the words. So, for example, when I describe things, I remember just Jake, when I, when I described things as flitting around in the woods around you, you thought that you, you, you were convinced that you were being attacked by a bird because a bird, a bird is a creature that flits and that's the only acceptable use for flitting. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, similarly, um, I described a character in another scenario as leering at people. And leering at people is like staring at them intensely with um, lecherous intent, whereas Litho interpreted leering as glaring, like well, like like wanting to kill people. Yeah, I, I think of it as that thing, or people do like that that false step, or put your neck forward, or like jump at somebody trying to scare them. I feel like leering has a very sexual. Like connotation. That's the that yeah that, that's what's the reason why that that adjective was the one that I adjective verb yeah. verb is the one that I use adverb it's an adverb <laughs> if it's an ing it's a gerund if it's ing. Wow, don't look at me. I'm not a doctor of English. So here's a question, Max. Have you seen? Have you listened to Litho run your games? Yes. And does, does he run them the same way you would? Or does he like? Because he no, either every, doesn't understand every person, or wants no, to no, run he, it as he used No, he's great at running games. It's just that the, the issue is that anytime someone runs something written by some someone else, you have a very different idea of what is important than the person who wrote it. And so anytime someone runs a scenario written by someone else, the pattern is basically the same, which is that they realize that the information necessary to lead the or, or to, to connect the players to the parts of the scenario that they've missed out on is completely different from what they thought it was, or they find they realize they need some way to deliver to deliver a, a, a clue to a different area of the mystery that wasn't investigated early on because either they didn't pick up it was important or they mentioned it but the players didn't realize. One thing that, that I always wonder about is uh, some authors of these types of scenarios will visually represent how different elements of a scenario will plug into other elements. They'll draw like a, a graph or a graphic with circles and lines showing how you can get from each point to the next. Like nodes, uh, Jason, sure. Justin Alexander. Think, yeah. 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 The one that, the one that he replaced, um, the other one with, and 
that I think would be very helpful because I very much doubt that most people, when they read a scenario, even if all the clues are bulleted and shit, it are going to understand that XYZ is necessary for the players to reach this other part of the adventure. So I guess there's a raise the question, right? If, and, and maybe there's no right answer here, but if, I'll use a Litho example. Litho takes your scenario, runs it in a different way, but has a ton of fun. Is that fine? Or should the goal of the scenario writer be to allow anybody to run it the exact way they intended? Um, What is right? There are certain ways of running scenarios that annoy me personally. I don't think that Litho Breaker is someone who's done this. In fact, he's actually done the opposite, where he's taken scenarios that I felt were not very good or that always produce an unsatisfying outcome for me and run them in a way that got the exact result that I wish I'd gotten. I think that um, I'm trying to think of an, of an example of someone who has, has done something in a way that I really disliked and I can't think of anything. I think that, um, Oh no, I can think of one example. Um, so I, I have a scenario called, um, Talking Dog Club. And Talking Dog Club has an issue where uh, a lot of people, like, play the scenario and think that, like, they're supposed to kill the kids. Like, that's the solution to the to the mystery. And it is a solution to the mystery. It's not the mandatory one. But then, then this, this dude, not Litho, this other guy, um, this other guy mentions that he ran it and he, he thought, oh, the players are going to be uncomfortable killing kids, so I'll make them college students instead so the players will be okay with killing them. I was like, that's definitely a solution to to a problem, but you've you kinda got it backwards there, my brother. You've you've assumed that the end goal is dead children and realized the players were uncomfortable with killing kids and decided to make them not kids when the actual solution was not to kill them at all. That's Delta Green, folks. It 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 really is that line of thinking like Okay, we we want to shoot people with missiles, but the missiles keep blowing up like their families and the daycare centers and stuff. So instead of having the missile be filled with explosives, let's have it filled with giant ass swords because that's better. A sword missile is great. This this is a real example, by the way. I'm not making this up. Oh, I I know. I, I love sword missile. The taxi driver probably shit his pants. Um. So like uh, an example I'm trying to get towards is that's a terrible start. So one of the things I do when I run. Uh, oh, by, by 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 the way, I really I really want to get I really want to get this in here. I'm always I'm always happy when I hear that people run my stuff. I will never be upset at people for um like quote unquote butchering it. I have like in the past gotten a little incensed when I heard that someone had gone through a scenario and the players had taken like the kill everything and burn everyone approach, and I've been like, oh, these people these people are a reason I don't play Alter Green anymore. It's like, well, well. No, it, it is frustrating, but also I have been that player before. Everyone here knows that because they played with me. And also, like, that's not only a valid way to play Delta Green, it's also a, pl- a way to play Delta Green that is encouraged by about one quarter of published scenarios and by about 90% of the Delta Green setting fiction. So I, it's unreasonable for me to be upset about that, and I felt bad afterwards, especially since that dude had drawn... I, 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 was, I was like, you know talking to the dude on the disky and he had drawn a really cool illustration of the scenario and i felt so awful afterwards for for just being mean for no reason because i found as i go through life that um being cruel to other people is a very transient dopamine hit and it's never as rewarding as it is in my head very true um so 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 when i run observer effect 
I always add. I'm pretty sure I add another iteration. I think I don't take one away, but I, I basically have read the scenario enough times, played it enough times. Like I feel like I have a better way to do it than the, than the author. Um, and so I add this to make things more interesting for the players and make things more to, to make it more fun. And I feel like it's not, I feel like that's fine. Um, I think, you know, to me, a scenario is like more of a living thing, but I think there's definitely a line where, at some point, you're no longer running someone's scenario. You just stole their seed, and are now running your own complete like bespoke scenario. Well, I I felt with Observer Effect the the issue I remember having with it was not so much that the number of iterations was too small. It was that you were constantly racking up willpower damage, and that was the primary limiting factor on how long you could play, rather than um, rather than the number of iterations you had. Because the number of iterations you have ultimately doesn't matter because the ending... I'm pretty sure the ending is up to the handler whether they want to say the universe is destroyed or whether you just get reset again. But the issue I, the issue yeah. that we had was that um, was that you're, you have the willpower clock, and that was back before they clarified what um, what running to zero willpower does, because it was, that, if you'll recall, it said you are incapacitated, but also you can't succeed on any rolls, but also you're under the control of the handler. And it wasn't super clear to us at the time, at least to me, whether that meant that you just stopped playing the game. And I'd also forgotten about the rule where you like use motivations to get one willpower back, which I think still probably wouldn't have helped, but it's something. But that's the primary limiting reactant on how long you can play that scenario, is that it is draining your ability to exist in this world as you go through it. Yeah, it's interesting. I've never run into that as a limiting factor, but I absolutely see well, uh, how, how it can be. Because it's like D6 per... It's at least D6 per iteration. See, yeah, that may be someone that I either don't bother with or make, or just have always just made less because it's so bad. So, it's, yeah, so that's an example of where you just, you know, you, you just make a change because you want to. But like, I don't know whether, so I don't know whether if Shane Ivy, who wrote that, had been more clear or more verbose, if he could have got me to run it more along the exact lines or not. Like, I don't think anything he could have written would would make me change how I run it now, because I've had such good luck with it, the way I run it. Observer Effect is a scenario that a lot of people don't like, not because it's necessarily bad, but because they say that it's too complicated. And it's not that it's necessarily that complicated. What it is is that the handler is responsibility. Excuse me, handler is responsibility. The person running the game is responsible at regular intervals to essentially like create a save state for the game world to record what is happening at this exact time, where all the NPCs are, what the players are doing, like how much health everyone has, all this stuff. And that is something that... Does the text provide any guidance for that? I don't remember. No, it doesn't. Um, okay. That's actually a really good example of the, the idea that we're talking about, about communicating, about communicating stuff to the guy who's going to read your scenario when you're done with it. Because that creating a save state or creating notes or creating a timeline of the events in that scenario for the purpose of rolling back is a very very that that takes that alleviates a significant amount of the administrative overhead of running that scenario and that is a really good thing to do and that's the thing I tell everybody to do when they say they're running observer effect and it's not suggested anywhere in the text and you can't do it retroactively once you realize you need to do it because you you're not going to remember like where everyone was at Two oh three in the right. morning. Right. If you get to the first reset and you realize that you're you sh you you needed to keep track of events that have already occurred, you're you can salvage it, but it's you, hard. You you as a handler can soft lock the game. Yes. Yeah. And that's an example where, 
the writer is is trusting that the handler is going to read through the entire scenario and understand everything. Well, it may well also, enough to know that you that you need to do that without telling you. It, it, it may right, also be that you. the author of that scenario simply didn't think it was necessary to keep that amount of detail. Fair. Yeah, it it does it does sort of get to like that this conversation we had earlier of what do you think is important about this adventure, and I think in this specific case the people have spoken and having that feature is actually quite important. And I, I, I wonder about this sometimes because uh, I've even, even in scenarios that don't have like time loops and stuff, I think it's still good to provide a timeline if you have lots of this stuff moving around in the background. And I can't remember if observer effect has a timeline in it or not, because it might not have a, it might not have the handler facing tool, but I think it might have, um, I don't have it open in front of me. Like just a, yeah, it has of, some times, yeah. Okay, and that's 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 still good because that gives you a snapshot at least of what's going on in the background, and that was very common, especially in the older Delta Green modules. Uh, like uh, I know Dead Letters had that where it's like this is what the NPCs do if they're interrupted, and I think the new Delta Green modules will also have stuff like that. Uh, I want to say, um, does Visit have it? Because Visit is a scenario that I remember. Um, the the is 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 a bit longer and, and has a lot of stuff going on with the interplay of factions, and the advice that you always give, Will, is fudge the timeline a little bit so that the interesting stuff happens within the field of vision of the players. That's right. But it's one that has, like, this this sequence of events that goes on... Um, the sequence of events... Sorry to jump in. The sequence of events in Viscuit is a little bit hard to get your head around because of the way the scenario is laid out. The most useful tool for figuring it out is the map of clues that Dennis uh, drew for his own benefit when he was first writing it and then posted to his Patreon. Um, and <laughs> that, that not part of the scenario? That map of clues not making it into the final scenario is the single biggest mistake that, that he made with that, in my opinion. Uh, that is an yeah, amazing yeah, resource. Like I, I, I give it to everybody I run into who says they're going to run Biscuit because it's fantastic. And and as much as I just took a shot at Dennis, big props to him because he put that up on his Patreon for anybody to use. It's the same with the 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 tool I made, I designed for Iconoclast that I basically like like pr- like I think I didn't print it out but like I like shoved it in front of Shane and Glancy at a convention once and I was like you can have this you need this to run your scenario yeah please include it yeah. I think I think he's, he he basically did a version of it he meant he mentioned to us that he's he's doing a version of that which is um like all the clues on cards and stuff mm-hmm. but I do think that that timeline is important. Clues on cards is cool, because then you can do a core board. Yes. Uh, there is an Eclipse Phase scenario. I only, there's only ever one that I've seen that did this, where I think it was Ego Hunter, where it has a list of... It has a sort of a flowchart of clues in, in, in the back, in the, in, in the index. The appendix, I guess. Um, and that was really useful, because that is a very open-ended module where it can go in a lot of different directions. And having, having a graphical display of here are the paths that players could take to get to the end super super useful because of course the thing about having written text is you have to have a beginning and an end so it's a little bit difficult to tell at a from looking at a big block of text where are the parts where you could jump ahead or where are the parts where you might have to skip back yeah i think my because because we had we had um stuff for all the scenarios but we also just had basic readability advice um paragraph breaks are really good Page breaks are really good. Individual headings and the if you're using Google Docs, you can just get an auto-generated table of contents by just by just building headings. Just select your headings and hit and hit set heading one to match or heading two or whatever you want, whichever one you want to use. And then um, 
there is a possibility if you have too many headings and too many page breaks that that you lose the ability to like it stops being useful because it's like highlighting the entire page. You're not highlighting anymore. You just you you you've created an index that is so complete that it is no longer usable as an don't, index. Don't don't go overboard with the formatting, basically. But generally, more paragraph breaks, more page breaks, are are great because it is much just easier to read to 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 go back to something, and it's also. Um, I've had cases, this this is like juvenile of me, but I've had cases where someone has put in front of me a very large, un, undifferentiated paragraph, and I've said, I'm not reading this until you until you chop this up. I think you've done that to me I've before. done that to you before, because... Yeah, yeah I was going to say, yeah, they're here in this room. I, I'm, I always bully Jake, because Jake does, Jake alternates between um, paragraph spaces and indentations to differentiate. I'm I'm a I'm a big proponent of paragraph space and no indentation, but I don't know what like the manual style for Delta Green actually says. No, no, I don't I don't use indent. My Google Docs is fucked up. Your presets are weird, and it's 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 so odd because like like I've always wanted to change my Google Docs presets. I've always wanted like the default to be Times New Roman. I've always wanted the um the default headers to be a certain size, but I've never figured out how to do it. And Jake Jake does it without even trying. No, yeah, accidentally. No, I, I can't it. fix it. I I don't know how I did it. I don't know how to fix it. Jake, I guarantee I can Google this here in two minutes and figure it out. So I don't well, even hear it. No, I've, 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 I've also never bothered to search it. <laughs> so I want to get back to something Max you mentioned earlier, because um, I, I find this through a hundred percent. I definitely find it a lot easier to run a new scenario if I've played in it, because you get, I get a lot of like handler cues from the person running the game, in terms of just like you know, tone and like what's important and like where to, you know, maybe set a scene that's a little more about like player interaction and where to kind of move things along. Uh, so like it, it would, it would, it would have been a lot harder for me to play for me to run iconoclasts if I hadn't gone through a long play test of it. So I find that super useful. I, I think that's also because I, you're able to kind of like, you're able to have part of that feedback loop because after the scenario, you, you can kind of ask questions about like, you know, what's going on here? You know, why did this happen? You know, explain this and get it right from the, if not the author, at least from somebody who knows it more than you do. Yeah. One thing we can talk about is just adding reference tools to your own materials. Like, you know, the web of clues, great. The calendar and player-facing description of the mechanics and iconoclasts, fantastic. The one that I've I've started doing for, or, or sorry, I started doing for scenarios that had lots of factions was a quick reference card for all of the different people with some short descriptive text of how they behave in certain situations because there are lots of scenarios that you can't actually build a timeline for but you can build a very basic descriptor of how they react to certain likely outcomes so this yeah, this is what they do if if like, 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 essentially, it's just it. It can be just as simple as like, this is what they do if the players try to fight them. This is what they do for surveillance. This is what they do if they. This is like what their goal is, and it, it's very easy to do something like that if you, do, as long as you don't have a huge. Because we tried to do, we tried to do it for, um, for our like Caribbean island '80s scenario, and the the quick reference card ended up being too big to fit on the page because there were too many factions. See, sometimes people just complain about having to look at something like that. I I did a time loop recursion scenario for the shotgun contest one year, 
and even a small number of minute by minute breakdown of things that were happening over the course of one hour at a small number of locations and it had in the table at this location this is happening and it's next to a timestamp and people still thought that it was too complex I didn't, I did, so I, I, I was someone who gave you a lot of shit for that, and I didn't do it because I felt that it was bad that you made a quick reference card. I told you that because I hate time loop scenarios. No, no. but even beyond that, people said that it was too complex, and I didn't no, know Jake, how to Jake, make it any more simple. Jake, you're, you're, I, I, I feel, I feel what you're putting down here because there is a, there is like a, um, a certain point where people will say, like, oh, the scenario just shouldn't be this complex in the first place if it needs a quick reference document. And, and, and it's like, I wonder, like, would, would you even have raised the complaint? It was too, if it was, that it was too complicated if you didn't see this? Because I've, I've done this before. I've, I've, when I remember, um, I had this complaint about, uh, Base Raiders. Base Raiders is a game that has very complicated character creation, but it, part of the character complicate, complication. Part of character creation in Base Raiders is that there's this flowchart you use to, like, select your special powers, and you have to, like, move from one node to the next in order to, to like, build your guy legally. And the flowchart, like, makes makes it a thousand times more complicated than if it had just been in text, like, this costs this amount. It's like, no, I gotta trace how many fucking nodes I've gone through to make my guy's laser blast also deal stun damage. At a certain point, you just have to say, look, this is not too complex. This is simple to follow. Stop complaining about no, it. No, I, I, I think that... Because my, my specific... The specific feedback that I wrote... I'll, I'll own this one. The specific feedback I wrote was that I don't want to track what's happening on a minute-by-minute -minute basis because I'm not filling out timesheets in the Dilbert RPG. And that, But that wasn't an objection to you providing a quick reference card. That was just an objection to the basic premise of the scenario. Oh, it's just a yeah, which there's, there's, there's nothing you can do about that. If I if I tell you I don't like something, that's there's, there's, we can't argue about that. It's I just don't like it. Yeah, man, can't no man compel another man to recreation. Especially not a son of a gun as ill-tempered as yourself. Yeah, uh, now I feel that because, um, and I, I will say this: a lot of the scenarios that I've done quick reference cards for are scenarios that people have just not been super have have not been super interested in, but that I really liked, and it's because. Um, the things that are fun to me, like building big numbers of NPCs that have like rich personalities and stuff and go around and, and have adventures and like react to the player in interesting ways, that is not necessarily easy or fun for someone else to pick up because after a certain point it's like I I realize that you had fun creating these characters, but like trying to to read this paragraph that you wrote for them and turn that into actual gameplay is not fun for me as the handler. Tom, one thing that I remember is that you had a scenario called Old Buck Lives Again, which is a scenario about a cool group of NPCs who are wizards and witches that have adventures in a swamp, and you felt that the original was unsatisfying because it was difficult to tie together the activities of the coven in a way that would be clear and gameable to both the handler and the player. And then recently I saw that another user had taken that scenario and actually uh, rewritten and reorganized it with new descriptive text so that it, uh, it so that it flowed a little better. Yeah, it wasn't changed in a substantive way, but he fleshed out a lot of the connective tissue, I guess. So it felt like a much fuller investigation going from step to step. 
Yeah, because that's that was another case where there were a lot of a lot of like really cool characters and all this stuff that they do, but again, like for a lot of for a lot of people reading and mastering like the personality of an NPC is or and and especially like this rich web of motivations and betrayals and backstabbing because some of the coven members don't like each other or are actually working against the interests of the group because they're afraid of something that's one that's that's uh that that will that some people will bounce off of well and that, and that gets to a, a crux of some that we're kind of beating on the bush it's like if when I write a scenario, I write it because it's something I want to push into the world and run. And if other people run it, that's that's fucking awesome. But if I was, if my only goal was to write things for other people to run, I think I would approach writing or writing things a lot differently because it's like not where my mind goes in the first place. And that's you know that's fine. <laughs> but I, so I wonder if that changes how I wonder if folks like Shane Ivey or Detweller have a similar mindset and they've just been doing it long enough and, and have enough of a, of a, you know, have enough clout, so to speak, that people end up running things that they write anyway, or if they actually take things into account, like would someone else enjoy running this? No, I think that they understand that sometimes things are too complex to follow. I was reading impossible landscapes and I was thinking to myself, man, this is somewhat complicated before someone told me about static protocol which is essentially their dramatis personae for different people and locations within that 300-page scenario that tells you where the references are and what they do. And I found it helpful to have that open while I was just reading Impossible Landscapes. Yeah, I'm going to, because we're talking about like reference documents and how to improve the, um, how, they, how they can improve the, the published modules. I'm actually going to go back to Talking Dog Club again and say that... Uh, with regards to like people quote unquote running or playing scenarios wrong, I think that after if a certain number of people find something unclear or react to something in a certain way, then I have to admit that it was a flaw in the original product because we were talking earlier at the beginning of this discussion about how something that's written in a certain way, even if it doesn't explicitly state something, if everyone who reads it comes away with a certain conclusion, then that's that's not what the intention of the author was, then the author should probably consider revising that text. And the issue with Talking Dog Club is that enough people have read it and come away with the conclusion that they need to murder these children, that it is beyond just people being bloodthirsty and actually a genuine flaw with the with the with the text of the document. Because even though I never at any point explicitly state that, if enough people have a misinterpretation of something or believe that that is the only option, then they are not misinterpreting it. I have miscommunicated something. Yeah, and that. So uh, somebody mentioned uh, very early in this recording session that uh, one of the ways to uh, improve a scenario you're writing is to show it to someone. Um, and like, so I've I've never had a scenario get worse from taking other other people. I've never had a scenario get worse from taking other people's creative input on it. So certainly, you know, after multiple people have run Talking Dog Club, you know, making a version 2.0. Uh, would 2.0 would almost certainly be better than 1.0, so you I've, should do it. I've had one scenario that I made I'm, that I made worse by incorporating playtest feedback, and that was um, the scenario caged heat, where afterwards the players were like, the the method that we received the briefing didn't inspire trust. We should have a conventional briefing where the handler that we pound with questions, 
and I was like, all right, I'll change it. And then looking back, that was the wrong move because I just, I, I don't, I don't like having a handle that you pound with questions, especially if, if it's a scenario where you pound the guy with questions and he just doesn't answer them because in that case, why have that character at all? So that was a case where, but again, that's on me. That's not on the players for descri- for describing their experience. That's on me for, if so- if someone gives you advice and you take it and it's not good advice, you can consider not listening to their advice in the, in the future, but ultimately it's on you for making the choice to listen to that specific piece of advice. So it's, it's nobody's fault but my own for going in a different direction. That's why I don't take anybody's advice. <laughs> but, um... Will, if I tell you don't take anyone's advice and you don't take anyone's advice, you are now taking my advice. Well, no, I'm not because I decided to do it before you told me. Well, um, that's an interesting one. Like, epistemologically, if someone tells you to do something you were already going to do, are you doing what they told you? That's that's that, Well, that's like the trolley pro- problem, right? If yeah. the trolley is going to kill you know, like one person if you do nothing or five if you do something, well, that's not neither – if you do nothing, that's not your fault because it's the guy who set up the track is, who is at fault. Right. By the way, that's the other way the around. Drowning, the drowning child argument. You guys not heard this one? Uh, I'm not familiar with that trolley problem. If you're standing on the shore of the lake and there's a child drowning, are you obligated to go in the water and save the child? And if you choose to do nothing, are you killing the child? Wait, wasn't – wasn't this Will Smith's tragic backstory in iRobot? I am not sure that that's the case, but I will take your word for it <laughs> because I genuinely don't remember. I think wasn't his son? No, no. He uh, the, there was he, there was two. He was in, an, in like a vehicle accident, and a robot happened to be passing, and the robot could either save him or a little girl, and it saved him because the oh, robot thought it was yeah, more likely yeah. he'd survive. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's some other character who had a drowned a drowned kid. I don't remember what what media property it was. Wasn't that the a- wasn't that part of AI that awful movie? Oh God, yes. Haley Joel. Me trying to remember is. the name of the movie where Jude Law plays an AI. Yes. <laughs> I think AI had a great visual aesthetic, but the rest of it was not so good. Yeah, except too, but they didn't include a movie with it. <laughs> you know, you know what is a go- a good version of that movie? Because I I I was about to say something, but then I real I couldn't think of anything. Man? No, I, you're probably right, but I was thinking of um. I was thinking of the fir- the one in Animatrix where it's the robot revolution. That one was really great. Uh, Second Renaissance. Sounds sounds like two renaissances weren't enough. I mean, if you, I think there were two. I think if you if you watch the short, you'll find that there are actually too many. <laughs> we we need one renaissance fewer. And I, I like I like it because it um it plays into like the absolute fucking smooth brains who in the Matrix setting thought it was a good idea to like destroy the sun to make the robots go away. Like, the robots need the sun more than we do. No, it turns out we need the fucking sun. The robots use solar. No, they don't. They use fusion power because they're robots. They don't care I think about. They did use. Solar yeah, like they stars. don't. They don't care, but they don't care about nuclear waste because they don't have DNA. But but Max, the sun is fusion power. Right. Um, I mean, the actual answer is that <laughs> the Matrix makes no sense in terms of its if it's like conservation of energy because the outer world is just another layer of the simulation. Which I think is that's a that's a pretty mainstream take. I think I don't think I'm I'm breaking new ground here. I if, I, I I hate that. I hate that so much. It sucks, but like it's it, it it's the reason it sucks is that it's a, it's a um it's an excuse that can be used to paper over any inconsistency in any story that involves simulated yeah, it's, realities. It's a wizard did it. No, it's it's Descartes' demon. It's it's um which is which is which is which is a demon did it. Fair. Just, demons, a big no sense of right or wrong. <laughs> yes. Okay, 
I, 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 I like this place, but uh, is there any other stuff that we wanted to cover on in terms of um, – I'm going to say this because um, I've, I've gone back and forth on this over the course of the episode. If you run my scenarios, it will make me happy even if you quote-unquote do it wrong. I have people who come to me for permission to do it. I was like, you don't need permission. I wrote it because I wanted people to run it. Like I, 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 I did, did all this work to make it understandable to people who weren't me. So yeah, absolutely. Go right ahead. Uh, and like, I'll, I might, I might like bitch and whine about stuff, but I still really like it when you do that. So please do. Yeah. Um, so I guess summary of advice, uh, use organizational tools in your documents. Yeah. And when something needs to be defined, define it in one place and not across multiple pages. Mm -hmm. And, and be clear when, uh, laying out stuff that's important that the handler needs to know. So that the handler can know it. Use simple language. Yeah, yeah, Niven's law. One thing that I found is um, lots of paragraph breaks, lots of page breaks. Unless you are, for some reason, writing a document that's intended to be printed out, you don't have to worry about most of the constraints that result in bad formatting decisions in print books. That's... A good side note, actually, if you're intending your scenario to be printed out, a lot of people find the two-column layout to be easier to read when on standard, like, printed yeah. size paper. Two-column is great for reading on a printed page. Two-column is bullshit for reading on a computer screen because yes. you have to scroll up and down multiple times to read the same page. Yeah. Unless you have a, a monitor that is... Um, portrait for some reason like if you're reading on a tablet then it's fine uh, like if you everyone should have a portrait monitor everybody should have a portrait fly. monitor yeah i, I, I wish i had one dude I, I did that in my job the other day and people were like whoa you can rotate the monitor dude i i knew so many people in uh in undergrad who would um they didn't know that you could like press just control plus to rotate a pdf they thought that you just had to turn the side of your head and and i was like I was like, this is, I, 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 I don't, like, typically, like, get into generational shit because of, for, for, for exactly this reason. Like, like, I can't say, oh, the boomers don't know how to use the computer because, like, very often I myself also don't know how to use the computer. But also, like, these, these millennials and Zoomers also don't know the shortcut for rotating a PDF in Adobe. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm like that with, with all the time, though, like... Like, uh, where, where, where's the, you know, the any key or like, why is it, why is the, um, why is the audio not working? Oh, it's cause I've got the headphones on my phone and not on the computer and shit like that. So yeah, well, there are just some things that are just really complex. Well, yeah. The, the, the issue is that if you have like two pieces of technology interfacing, there's like a dozen different points of failure and it's very difficult to tell which one it is. Like, is it a problem with my, with my audio on the computer? Is it a problem with the headphones? Is it a problem with the USB hub that I use? Is it like, is it a user error or is it a genuine issue? This is very like, esoteric for scenario writing advice. No, this is, this is actually like spot on for scenario writing advice because one of the issues is that you are trying to write instructions for something that has multiple different pieces that are outside of your control. You don't know what the background level of knowledge of the person running the game is. You don't know what group of people they're running the game for. You don't, and so this is, this is, it's a question like, um, do you put stat blocks in for monsters and magical spells that are found in other Delta Green books? It's a question of what level of background knowledge do you assume? I think I've asked this before, but when you have a stat block, do you put it right there on that page or in an appendix? 
a separate NPC section. And here's the here's the real the real kicker. When an NPC appears in the text, do you give a narrative description there and then put the stats in the stat block, or do you put it? Do you give a stat block that has both the stat the the game statistics and the narrative information for what that person's like, how they behave, and their role in the story? Because that one is that one is much harder than the question of whether you break out um, whether you break out the game information. The question of what information about someone's motivations, personality, and behavior belongs in the main text of the document, and which needs to be broken out into its own separate. And we live in a modern society, so if you're gonna put the stat block somewhere, excuse me, if we're gonna put the stat block somewhere else, use a hyperlink, which then which then fucks anybody printing it out. But I mean, who does that? Also, um, here's an idea. This is crazy, but uh. If your PDF has a very large file size and takes forever to load because of all of the nested image, if you could just if you could just consider flattening that, yeah, that'd be great. Could you flatten it and then put the text over top of it so that it's still searchable, but also like I don't have to wait for forty five pictures of a, a amigo amigo newspaper clippings about amigo's prostate to load. <laughs> anyway, uh, no, I, I um cl- closing thoughts or does anyone want to open up another box because I, I feel like we could. We could um, we could go into a lot of other details about this if we really wanted to. The the, the only closing thought that I had uh, yeah. to circle back on the modern thing is the one thing about having a modern portrait mode is you can't use it to read impossible landscapes. Nice. And that's the end of the <laughs> answer. Kind of I'm coming to Canada to kill <laughs> yes. you. Yes. 